0: Hello and welcome to the Stooshy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'm joined by Conservative MP Michael Gove in the week his party gathers in Aberdeen for the Scottish Spring Conference. Michael Gove is the Minister for Leveling Up Housing and Communities under Rishi Sunak, so there's plenty to discuss his own departments. More widely, the UK government is embroiled in the recent chaos at the Commons over the Gaza ceasefire votes. The party's been losing MPs at some rate to Labour in by-elections. One MP, Lee Anderson, has been disciplined for comments made about Labour's London Mayor Sadiq Khan. In an interview recorded on Tuesday, February the 27th, Michael Gove joined me to answer questions on all those hot topics, including his views on Liz Truss and Suella Braverman. As a proud Aberdonian, he's also well-placed to run the rule over his party's prospects in Scotland, particularly the North East, in the run-up to conference and a general election. I started by asking Mr Gove if the prospect of losing power at Westminster is putting a cloud over the conference in a region with plenty of Conservative voters.
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, I think you're right that, um, obviously, we've got a a strong presence, strong MPs in the North East, and a strong message. And I think you can't call general elections until the last vote has been cast. And I remember in uh, 2017, when Theresa May went to the polls, um, she was 20 points ahead, um, and people thought that uh, it would be a walkover. In fact, she lost the Conservative majority at that time. So a strong campaign uh, can alter how people think. And I think the closer that we get to the general election, the more it will be a matter of of two essential choices. Um, There's a choice in Scotland. Where naturally people will want to uh, pass judgment on the SNP, uh, and there's a choice uh, UK-wide whether or not people think that uh, voting for Labour uh, is too much of a risk. And I think particularly in the northeast, particularly the impact on the oil and gas sector means that for many people who might have been inclined maybe to give Labour their votes in the past, there won't be the the same level of uh, enthusiasm or Warmth towards labour uh, because of the direct threat to the economy of the northeast.
0: We'll get back to oil and gas a little bit more because it has been a, a, a hot topic recently. Well, for for as long as I've been yes. alive, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> what what else can 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 people expect from the conference? What what is the what is it the conservative message uh, going to be? I think there
1: are two principal elements to the message. The first is that the Conservatives are in a strong position um, as the, uh, the most principled, most resolute alternative to the SNP in a variety of constituencies. And Scottish Conservatives have got the big calls right. So whether or not it was over the gender recognition scheme or whether or not it was over our approach towards COVID and the need for a UK-wide response. is Scottish Conservatives that have always been the clearest and most consistent advocates for what's turned out to be the right policy and also the most determined critics of the SNP and the SNP's obsession with uh, a referendum, independence and constitutional change when there are so many other issues that preoccupy us. And I think the second uh, central message will be that Uh, we have an economic plan that is working. And uh, at a time when you have uh, uncertainty in Ukraine, when uh, energy prices across the world are rising, when the, uh, the long outworkings of the pandemic are having an effect in every workplace, then you need to have a degree of focus on the economy, on bringing inflation down as the first and most important part of that, but also on making sure that people can keep more of their own money, and actually, uh, the contrast between the SNP's tax-raising policies and our tax-cutting policies, I think, really will hit home.
0: Uh, will you be making a, a speech at the conference? Have you got something you'll be saying yourself or, or hosting a, a fringe or anything like that? Or are you just going along to, to show support for the, the party?
1: I'm, I'm I'm there principally to show support to Douglas and others, but I will be speaking at a couple of fringes. I'll be speaking at the Women to Win fringe um, and the uh, BAME Conservative fringe. And I'll also, I hope be able to say just a little bit on Saturday morning about some of the work that we've been doing through uh, the Leveling Up Fund and some of the other funds that we've created. Um, Because one striking thing over the course of the last four or five years is that the UK government has been playing a bigger partnership role. Um, So uh, as you'll know, 20 million pounds to convert the old BHS store and um, the the, the heart of uh, Aberdeen, the old market into a livelier and more attractive Uh, city centre, that's been one example of a variety of other interventions, including the investment zone that's been created in the northeast covering Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire, um, and also some of the other uh, spending that we've been able to allocate, including to other
0: parts of the north, like the Freeport in uh, Inverness and Cromarty. Staying with Aberdeen and Aberdeen's Mm. prospects, you you were memorably accused of adopting what was called an ABBA approach, which is a, a phrase coined uh to reflect the the phrase anywhere but bloody aberdeen mm. the charge of course you reject but it's true that there is a, a long-running tension politically about spending mm. priorities yes and support in the northeast you're the leveling up minister so what can conservatives claim that they've they've got up their sleeves to continue to demonstrate financial support in a in a region like aberdeen and the northeast where there is some uncertainty about the economy going into the future
1: well, I, I, if, if it's ABBA, it's absolutely bloody brilliant, Aberdeen. That I believe in because I think that um, the, the truth is um, the, the the city uh, has its challenges, but the UK government is there to work in partnership. So I mentioned the twenty million pounds for the the city centre. And that's designed to deal with some of the challenges that Union Street has. It, but it's also been the case that there's a, um, the energy transition zone, which Sarian Wood has led on, is something where the UK government's been uh, investing and acting in partnership with business and with the local council. It's also the case that uh, we have been making sure that the broader investment zone that I've mentioned, which involves working with Aberdeen University and uh, again with business, is uh, an example of our determination to continue investing in Aberdeen, because uh, we need a transition, of course, uh, from over-reliance on hydrocarbons towards more renewable energy. And uh, you can only make that transition if you involve the oil and gas sector in it. We're going to need oil and gas for decades to come. And we also need the companies involved in the sector to continue to remain viable and profitable. And that was the message. Uh, uh, that I heard when I was at the Cromarty Freeport. It's the message I hear every time that I'm in Aberdeen. And that uh, uh, transition uh, is backed by the Conservatives because Labour would put uh, a tax on the oil and gas sector. Uh, The SNP don't want any more uh, drilling at all. Um, offshore, so uh, that seems to me to be the you know the, the biggest example of our commitment to continued um, investment in Aberdeen, because as well as the UK government bringing um, uh, its wallet out, we also need to make sure that the private sector continues to invest as well, and that won't happen if you have either the tax increases um, or the moratorium on drilling that the other
0: parties want. Oil and gas, obviously, as we've talked about already, is, is an election battleground. Whenever the election finally comes, mm. Labour and the SNP, scrapping over levels of support for the industry. On the windfall tax, Keir Starmer's is not, not massively different from the Conservatives' proposals. So is anyone getting the balance right? How, how do you pitch oil and gas against the new energy jobs and the elephant in the room in Scotland, nuclear?
1: Yes. Well, the, the, the first thing to say is that um, you we, we shouldn't set one against the other. So uh, Scotland has a a great future as the home of renewable energy. Uh, Aberdeen's led the way um, in hydrogen. um, And it's also the case that when it comes to offshore wind, Scotland has amazing potential. In order for that to work, we need uh, the grid connectivity, which sometimes, you know, creates some issues for, 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 for people. But that is a way of guaranteeing prosperity in the future. And while I think there's a broad consensus around the need to move towards renewables, there's a lack of realism about the Labour Party's approach and certainly about the SNP and the Greens' approach. So the Labour Party wants us to decarbonise our economy by 2030. That is just unachievable. Um, they have a £28 billion black hole um, still. They haven't said how they're going to pay for that decarbonisation. The only inference that you can draw from that is that they will increase taxes, and they've been clear that they will specifically increase gas uh, taxes on the oil and gas sector in a way that we would not. We think that their measures are anti-growth, and that is certainly the view of the industry as well. And it's also the view of, um, you know, Labour politicians in Aberdeen. I mean, I have a lot of respect for uh, people who've uh, who voted Labour and acted as Labour activists in the past, Jenny Ling, Barney Crockett and others. Um, but I don't think there's anyone, if you, you know, if you set them down, um, with a point in the Prince of Wales and ask what they really think about Labour's policy on oil and gas, who would say that they think that Labour have the best interests of the North East at heart. Um, the SNP, as I say, they're in hock to the Greens. And the Greens are, in some respects, the... An, well, they're, they're clear, they're an anti-growth party. If you just listen to Patrick Harvey, he he argues for de-industrialisation. So as long as the SNP are... Uh, you know, as, as long as the green tail is wagging the SNP dog, then you will not get a Scottish government uh, committed to investment in the northeast in the way that it deserves.
0: Well, what about that um, that problem that you have with UK energy policy and nuclear? Which the SNP, for for those who are listening who don't don't yes. know the the background, uh, the UK government and the Conservative Party is mm. pro pro new generation nuclear and, and small reactors but the SNP government with the Greens uh, are opposed to any new nuclear development in Scotland using the, the planning system to, to effectively block that. Yes. Is that something you continue to work on? Is it something that you think is a fight worth having? Can Scotland uh, expect to see small nuclear reactors in the future? Well, I think we have to make the argument. Um, I mean, of course, my friend Andrew
1: Bowie is the, the, the minister who's leading on um, nuclear uh, nuclear energy, Um, uh, is a highly effective way of making sure that we've got a baseload, a reliable uh, foundation of energy supply, um, which obviously doesn't emit carbon um, and which can be uh, relied upon uh, come wind or rain or the absence of wind or rain. So it makes sense to invest in nuclear. And modular nuclear reactors of the kind, of course, that um, are deployed in in submarines and elsewhere, um, make perfect sense. Of course, there are delicate planning decisions, and we're not going to disrupt the devolution settlement, but we'll continue to make the case. And again, I think, you know, in your question, uh, a very, very fair point is made, which is that the, you know, the Scottish Greens um, have an ideological objection to nuclear power, an ideological objection to oil and gas. They're an anti-growth, anti-northeast party. And uh, there are folk in the SNP, I'm sure, who would be sensible enough to recognise, perhaps in the future? You know, perhaps when Kate Forbes is first minister and uh, Fergus Ewing is back in the Scottish government, maybe then uh, we can have a more fruitful conversation. But at the moment, I'm afraid the Greens act as a barrier to that.
0: You mentioned the devolution settlement. There, um, another little area where there has been some tension between the UK and Scottish governments in, in recent years the UK government, post-Brexit in particular, a bit more on the front foot at trying to find ways of kind of investing directly in Scotland in areas the Scottish Parliament might um, be mm. correct in saying, well, that's our responsibility. Are, are, are you planning more along that kind of thing? Are you looking at ways to invest directly in other areas in Scotland from Westminster?
1: Well, we're we always looking for areas where we can work in partnership. And I, I think a really interesting thing about uh, devolution uh, has been the way in which we've seen under the SNP, devolution actually means centralisation. And what we've seen is the emasculation of local government in Scotland. And what we've been seeking to do is to work with the Scottish government when we can. So, you know, we co-designed the policy on uh, green freeports. We made sure that we worked with them on investment zones. And, uh, uh, you know, the the, the practical work on that um, was a good example of cooperation. But at the moment, uh, the Scottish government are not providing local government with the support or the flexibility that it needs. So we're more than happy to work with local government. And indeed, it's been striking to me how, uh, whether it's been the SNP Lib Dem administration in Aberdeen now, or the predecessor Scottish Labour, Aberdeen Labour Tory administration, that the leaders of every group were only too eager to work with the UK government to use the resource that we had and, and to, um, you know, to, to make life better for, for people in Aberdeen. And it seems to me that it's about practical cooperation. People in Aberdeen pay taxes to both the UK government and the Scottish government, and they deserve to see a return from both.
0: A previous podcast that we published a few weeks ago now focused on the spaceport which is being developed in Shetland. Um, oh yes, and it, uh, an area which brings me to sort of islands and and the the places further away from London, Edinburgh, yeah. Aberdeen, and other cities. Uh, what 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 support are you hoping to see from from developments like that? Are you are you going to be putting more money into the space industry in Scotland? Are you going to be spending more money to help um, combat depopulation in islands? Yes. So I think the, the, the spaceport on UNCE, the Saxevoord
1: spaceport, is a really important development. And I think that we put some big bets behind uh, space as an area of uh, uh, economic growth, an area where uh, the UK has uh, a technological edge. But beyond that, um, the, the Highlands and Islands matter deeply to the UK government, matter deeply to me. Uh, we set up uh, an Islands Forum, which is more than just a talking shop. It's a way of bringing together representatives from the Northern Isles, the West Isles, other uh, island communities across the United Kingdom, like the, uh, the other white as well, in order to ensure that all of the, the shared issues they have to do with connectivity and, and depopulation can be dealt with. And um, we set up a working group which is looking at how we can improve digital connectivity and also how we can improve ferry services. We invested 20 million pounds from the Leveling Up Fund in making sure that we could have a new ferry, which ensures that Fair Isle in the in the Shetlands could continue to be a successful populated community. And we're always looking at ways to help the Highlands as well. And again, you know, we've seen over the course of you know recent decades, um, uh, apart from the area immediately around Inverness, depopulation of uh, the Highlands, and that's why I've talked to. Uh, you know, uh, Highland Council leader to the, the leaders of the Western Isles and Orkney and Shetland about what more the UK government can do because it is a critical part of the UK and Scotland's ecology, culture that uh, the Highlands remains a uh, a vital and living part of uh, you know
0: our whole country. It was interesting that uh, you mentioned the a, a meeting on uh, ferry services to the islands because we reported. Not that long ago, that one of the one of the groups set up to, try to advocate mm. for better ferry services in Arran disbanded just before the UK government's um, most recent kind of summit on it, because they were so frustrated at the the lack of improvements that mm. they saw in the in the ferry service. So, entire community groups giving up, while while UK and Scottish governments keep talking about better connections, it's a bit of a, a warning sign there that maybe the, mm. the pace is just not up to it.
1: I think that's right. And, I, and again, um, you know, the, 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 I think it's important to allocate responsibility clearly here. It's not the fault of uh, CalMAC that um, uh, its fleet is aging and needs replacement. Um, and the people who work for Caledonia McBrain do an amazing job. However, the Scottish Government and the decisions that they made with Ferguson Marine and others do deserve to be in the spotlight. Um, and it has been the case that the delivery of new ferry services, which are the direct responsibility of the Scottish Government, has not been what it should be, and they're rightly being criticised for that. What we want to do is to make sure that we can work alongside the Scottish Government and local councils. As you mentioned earlier, um, when the UK Government has uh, sought to help, initially, the Scottish Government and SNP approach was back off. Uh, This is undermining the devolution settlement. Now, now, what I find is the SNP uh, uh, councillors in particular welcome the UK government being involved. So the first time I appeared before the Scottish Parliament Committee looking at some of these questions, the convener Ken Gibson was very critical of our approach. Uh, but uh, uh, he was much warmer when I returned, not least because as the MP for North Ayrshire and MSP, forgive me, for North Ayrshire and Arran uh, he's seen the benefits uh, that the UK government can bring. And as I say, you know, when I've been talking to SNP councillors in Dundee and in Aberdeen, they're straightforward, pragmatic leaders who want the best for their city. Um, and therefore, they work with the, the UK government. And one of the things that I'm also keen to do Again, is to work with the council because there are there are some very specific issues in Aberdeen that I think need addressing. I'm um, I'm I was very concerned to read about the you know the way in which St Nicholas and St Mark's churches um, were uh, you know uh, their future was in doubt because Kirk uh, attendance had fallen and the Mother Kirk and uh, St Mark's were on the market. I hear there's some good news about uh, St Nicholas, but one of the things that uh, I was going to do in Aberdeen was to say to the council uh, and to other interested parties. You know, these two buildings are at the heart of the city. And if there's anything that the UK government can do to ensure that they have a successful
0: future, then we want to help. For people listening there, um you're you're referring to some the the main the main mother kirk in the centre yeah. of Aberdeen, just off Union Street. Uh, we were reporting at the Press and Journal just the other day that um yeah, it's going to have a, some new life breathed into it as a community-based um centre uh, from a, a company that's already yes. doing work in, in the waterfront in, in Edinburgh and other places. So it's definitely one to, uh, space to watch there. Sticking sticking with your, your um, critique of the SNP there, it's worth pointing out the the First Minister, Hamza Yusuf was um, in full election mode um, in recent days. He was in Glasgow mm. yesterday, the day before we record this anyway, where he asked for Prime Minister Rishi Sunak to lead from the front in, in tackling what he said was Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. A serious charge. Mm. For anyone listening who's unaware of the context there, MP Lee Anderson, former Deputy Chair of Conservatives, refused to apologize for claiming that Islamists had got control of Labour, Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. Mm-hmm. Should Lee Anderson have apologized for that? Yes, I think Lee should have apologised. I mean I, I mean I think
1: the idea that the Conservative Party um is anti Muslim is uh, nonsensical. I mean you should just ask my friend Sajid Javid or my friend Sakib Bhatti or uh, Baroness Nashina Mubarak. Um, you know, th- th- that that that's just rubbish. Um uh, but Lee uh, misspoke. Uh he shouldn't have said what he said, you know, the personal attack on uh the mayor of London. Um and 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 he should apologize.
0: Does the Conservative Party have a wider problem, though? uh, Home Secretary Swela Braverman also facing facing criticism for suggesting Islamists are in charge of Britain?
1: I think it's really important to be as precise as possible in language, and and that that was where Lee fell down. So um, Islam itself is a great religion. Uh, It's a religion of peace. It gives uh, spiritual comfort and inspiration to millions across the globe. It inspires acts of charity. Um, It uh, is there to to elevate people's spirit and soul and to make them think of others and their wider community. So Islam is a force for good. Islamism is as different from Islam as fascism is from patriotism. Islamism is a particular ideology linked to organizations like the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas and others. And it's important to uh, be specific about that. Islamophobia is a word that is is used often by well-intentioned people who hate prejudice. But the problem with using Islamophobia is that the definition that's been put forward of Islamophobia by um, a, a particular all-party parliamentary group is a definition that's been shaped in such a way as to try to prevent people, uh, quite rightly if they want to, criticizing aspects of faith and belief without attacking individuals. That's why we prefer the term anti-Muslim hatred which is very clear about prejudice to people on the basis of their being Muslim and different. And that is completely unacceptable. And we'll be bringing forward some uh, some work uh, in, in coming days in order to make it clear how you can draw distinctions here and how we can celebrate what faith does in, in, in folks' lives. Uh, we can protect people from anti-Muslim hatred, but we can also ensure that there is legitimate space for free
0: speech and debate. So it's a freedom of speech thing that you're talking about and and the need for clarity of of language. Another politician um, taking full advantage of freedom of speech right now is Liz Truss. Oh, yes. Doing the the circuit in America with a Mm. passable impression of a a Donald Trump supporter. Are you you comfortable with with that going on as well in your party?
1: Well, I think once you've been prime minister for however short or long a period, then uh, you tend to spend a fair bit of time abroad. You know, Liz had her shot. Um, at being PM, it didn't quite work out. I, I like Liz, but I, as I think people know, I wasn't convinced that she was the right person to be PM. As it is now, you know, I'm
0: inclined to wish her well. Very diplomatically put, <laughs> if I say so. Just bring it back to Aberdeen a little bit. From from we've we've strayed across the Atlantic now, mm. more reflective mode. Yes. We've been we've been asking constituency MPs mm. if you get to know your questions um, recently for an election series that, that, that would be coming up in the the P and and the Courier. So I thought I'd just touch on that a little bit here you're an aberdeen man yes is the city still a place that you you like to spend time when you're when you're not you know got your government hat on oh
1: completely yes yeah, so my my mum lives in aberdeen my my sister and brother-in-law live just outside and i've got uh, friends in aberdeen so I, whenever i can i like to uh, see my mum and and spend some time relaxing
0: um with friends in aberdeen well it's it's obviously closely for, for family reasons i mean how how did those mm. early years in aberdeen shape the way you approach your politics? Well, I think there are several influences
1: on me. I was very lucky. I went to two uh, primary schools, Sunnybank and Kitty Brewster. And I remember the teachers that I had, Mr. Glanders, Eileen Christie at primary school, who were sticklers for uh, high standards. And that uh, had an impact on me. I then went to Gordon's. And again, I think that the the teachers that I had there sort of inspired me to, to try to do my best every day, um, and to try to use whatever talents I had uh, to, to to help other people. Also, he, he passed away many years ago now, but um, uh, the minister at um, what was Causeway Ann Church, now um, St. Stephen's, uh, the Reverend Douglas Sutherland, was a big inspiration to me because he was someone who believed very, very strongly in uh, service to others. And he also believed very, very strongly in the importance of, uh, education as a way of liberating people to make the choices that mattered in their lives while always feeling a sense of responsibility towards others. So there are lots of individuals and again my parents in particular had a big impact on the way I looked at the world. Uh, growing up in Aberdeen you've got a very real sense even though Aberdeen's changed a lot over the, the years of a very defined community um, and uh, and you see it manifest in all sorts of ways. So you know, if you were to say to people, or certainly people who a certain age, what does Gothenburg mean to you in a- in Aberdeen? Everyone would know what that was a reference to. Victory uh, when Alec Ferguson was manager. Um, uh, also, in the same way, um, and I know that they're all now sadly dead. But the the trio behind Scotland, the what? Um, they their humour was based on a shared understanding that everyone in Aberdeen and in the northeast had. Um, you know, Gunther Swick, uh, Buff Hardy's memorable creation was a, an instantly recognisable figure, um, uh, as were all of the characters, you know, the uh, proprietor of the Ballot of Toy Shop and all the rest of it. They, you know, it's outside the Northeast, it would seem bewildering. But if you're from Aberdeen or Aberdeenshire, then, you know, it's a, uh, a shared set of references and language. And so therefore, a uh, strong sense of community that people in
0: Aberdeen have. And that's always stayed with me. Well, I'd encourage anyone listening to that who doesn't know what the heck we're talking about to go and sorry, Google that Ballater Toy Shop one and start learning about jumbo footprints and all the rest of it. <laughs> um, well worth a listen. Um, you, you mentioned the, the the Prince of Wales for a, for a pint earlier. Um, yes. Is that where Tory policy will be being cooked up at the weekend?
1: Um, I think that um, it may well be the case that. There'll be some policy discussions uh, there, or very possibly at uh, uh, Vovem, the uh, my favourite restaurant on Union Street. So I have to
0: ask, given what the social media viral clips of the past, but after the Prince of Wales, will you be will you be gracing the dance floors of Aberdeen this time?
1: No, I I'm under strict instructions <laughs> to have an early night um, in order to be up. Uh, first thing for uh, some conference breakfast sessions the the next morning. So um, oh, I might wise. raise a glass, but um, um, I'll make sure that I uh, hit the sheets uh, at a relatively early time rather than hitting the dance floor.
0: That was UK Government Minister Michael Gove speaking with me before Tory conference gathers in Aberdeen. Thank you to him for joining us along with producer Gemma Bibby. We'll be back next week for more. Until then, pick up a paper or log on to the Press and Journal, The Courier, Sunday Post and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.
1: The Stushy is the politics podcast from DC Thompson, designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, Westminster and our communities so that you can be better briefed. Don't miss an episode by following The Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you know folks like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune in or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And stay even more up to date on local and Scottish news by subscribing to The Courier or Press and Journal, where you can get one month of unlimited access for just £1. Check the episode notes for details and terms.